0: It does contain an F major seven sharp 11. So, like, if you're ever just,
1: you know. You've completely changed my mind on the track.
0: Welcome to 1001 Album Complaints, the show where experienced musicians and old friends randomly select an album from 1001 albums you must hear before you die. We discuss, we analyze, we laugh, we get off topic. Uh, and this week we're going to be listening to a great one, uh, titled by Fiona Apple. So we definitely want you to play along. Uh, we're going to announce next week's album at the end of the show. So when you hear that, definitely give it a listen. You'll understand a little more about what we're talking about next week Uh, we'll give you some hot takes some deep dives and a selective tracks you know and we're gonna vote on whether or not you actually need to listen to this record before you die uh so with that said let's move on to the cast of characters we've got adam rob and alan this week if you guys just want to say hi all at once
2: (laughs) so so everyone can get us (laughs) excellent Phil, I love that you said that 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 we laugh because this is the first album I've actually cried listening to. So this is this is a good. I mean, I might be the only one. Maybe I'm this week. Do you mean or when you were sixteen? Right. Oh, maybe a little of both. Actually, yeah, I I think so. Definitely shed a tear this week.
0: It's definitely a uh, more. It's a sadder album. Yes, it's (laughs) (laughs) it's sad. just in general, I mean, I'm curious what first impressions are. I mean, this is an album I was super familiar with. I uh, I found this record when I was probably a junior or senior in high school. Uh, definitely fell in love with it very quickly. Um, I would be remiss if I was not to mention that I definitely had a you know high school crush on Fiona Apple. Uh, probably downstream from the Criminal video. Uh, we'll just set that aside for later. Uh, but I mean, what were you guys' initial thoughts on this? Because I mean, this is a record that has always, always resonated with me. Really, from the first time I turned it on, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: I'll uh, I'll go first. This is Rob here, and this was my first time listening to the record, so I was glancingly yeah. familiar with a few of the songs. Naturally familiar with the criminal, the you know criminal, the biggest hit. Watched that video on MTV in high school, and I had heard. She had a boxer, you know, a few times, I was glancingly familiar with Fiona Apple's catalog, I suppose. In fact, I listened to her recent, I guess, 2020 release a few times over the last 12 months and enjoyed it. But anyway, I had never sat down with with title. So it was all it was all pretty new to me. I knew her to be. You know, I guess I had an idea of what to expect, that she was kind of a jazzy, sultry singer who played piano. And uh, yeah, I was coming in. I was coming in fresh. And uh, I enjoyed it. I think the songwriting is, is strong. I think the production has a lot of nice little touches where in places where it could just be a really spare piano plus vocal kind of situation, especially given the strength of her vocals. You know, they, they added a lot of really interesting things that made it uh, very atmospheric. So I, was, I don't want to say I was pleasantly surprised because I, I think of her as a real, as a good artist who, you know, puts out good material just in a very general way, but I had never I'd never listened to the album all the way through until this week.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, right there with with you, Rob. So I was familiar with the all the big radio hits. Uh, first time sitting down with the album. It's sonically beautiful. I put on headphones. I had done kind of a half-assed listen mm-hmm. on my iPhone with the speaker, and then a couple nights ago, I put on the headphones. It is a real treat. Uh, fantastically mixed. Um, has a very... I'd say 90s, you know, kind of uh, uh, sulking vibe. Like, I feel like there was like, <laughs> the, yeah, there was that, it was <laughs> sure. a decade of the Counting Crows, and everything was very, you know, emotional. So I, you can definitely see that in, in a lot of the content of the songs. Um, I also feel it, it came on strong, it stayed on strong, and I feel like the last kind of tunes, it kind of just uh, kind of faded out. It, it, it wasn't
3: super strong. But overall, great, great album. Liked it a lot. Al, what about you? Yeah, I, I think I'm more in like Rob's camp where like I, I really didn't have much familiarity with it. I was also like an MTV kid who remembers this just being all over the place on MTV. And I think because of that, I sort of like lumped this into, and in retrospect, I realized this was was sort of inaccurate on my part, but I kind of lumped this into that, like not one hit wonder-ish, but, but sort of like flash in a pan, MTV, you know, smash hit. So, you know, what else is there? And, and I, I think I also lumped this into that, like, sarah mclaughlin lilith fair kind of vibe which you know she was involved in that but you know it, it, this is, has much more you know depth i think and um i don't think i realized the the sort of jazz influence and i know we'll get into some of this you know later on but i think realizing that she sort of learned on you know out of, learned songs out of the real book growing up and and really dialed into those like jazz standards mm-hmm. that was yeah. something that like i i did not really know about her um and so uh, this was a really, like, pleasantly, uh, I think it was also a palate cleanser from listening to, to Prodigy, you know, and, and to some extent, Paul's Boutique, which which I <laughs> liked. But, um, you know, I, I was surprised at how, like, timeless this felt. Um, you know, Adam, you mentioned that kind of 90s feel, and I think that, like, angst, angsty kind of vibe was there. But um, in, in a lot of ways, I felt like, the, you know, I was in, like, a bar in the 70s w- with a real smoky, kind of atmosphere and and um you know there was a a sort of a timelessness to this that i was not expecting um you know it's not a perfect album like i think to your point like it's a little inconsistent for me in terms of like pacing and things like that but um yeah really uh very pleasantly surprised
0: yeah i mean I, i it's interesting to hear you guys say that because like i said i've been really, really familiar with this record since I was 16 or 17. And, you know, sort of, uh, I didn't think about the Lilith Fair as I listened to it, but, you know, to that end, she's probably the only artist in that sort of cohort that I really did, like, submerge myself in. And, like, I mean, I listened to Sarah McLachlan records, and, uh, you know, Adam, I listened to Indigo Girls records with you. Oh, yeah. Uh, So... (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, this was like sort of a keeper for me and definitely I think influenced you know, just the way I thought about music. You talked about two things, guys. Uh, I talked about the sort of jazz backgrounds and you talked about the production. So, you know, I did the research this week. So some, some interesting things I think on both of those. So Fiona Apple started, she was a classically trained piano player starting very early, like three, four, five years old. She was writing her own compositions by the age of eight. And sometime around age 8, 10, sort of just fell in love with what you guys are talking about, sort of like old Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, the sort of like smoky, you know, jazz composition, sort of rooted in the blues. But like the harmonies going way outside of that sort of sort of basic one, four, five thing. So, I mean, yeah, that's dead on. And I mean, I was sort of like looking up some of these charts and they're not as complicated, I think, as. They might sound uh, with the production, so the overall build of the songs, um, but they're definitely denser than you might think, right? Like definitely denser than oh, your average definitely,
2: pop song, yeah. For sure. I can hear that.
0: And I'm definitely seeing songs that probably had, you know, more in common with... Uh, yeah, there were songs that oddly had maybe more in common with like Stash... Or uh, or a Nirvana song, right? And, and there's these sort of like 90s, uh, well, some of it just use melodic minor in a sort of like 90s way. Um, and some of it also, I think, uses, I just, she, she uses like minor thirds in a very Nirvana way, right? Like a very C to E flat. Yes, you know? yes.
2: I, uh, I heard, that, that's I heard cool, that pattern repeated you know? <laughs> on a couple of tunes because I, I think near the, Sure. Last, mm-hmm. one of the last three songs was very familiar to one of the first five or something. And I remember hearing the chord pattern being like, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, sure." You
0: know. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I definitely agree, Alan, you sort of flagged that it gets a little like, it gets a little soft, right? Like it runs 51 minutes, like would it have been a better record if it ran 45, maybe, right? Like if you cut one song, does it actually feel yeah, more? Yeah, and I
3: think there's, there's something to be said for that. Like, I don't think that's necessarily like a bad thing, you know, that it has its own you know contours and, it, and has a, a specific journey but it, in some ways it reminded me of not musically but in terms of the pacing uh that that album naked by talking heads mm, interesting where it really starts out just super energetic and there's uh, it's obviously not going to keep that pace the entire album but i had similar thoughts where i i, I kind of felt like it, it was just like dying a little bit she she's it, it's it's piano music even though what was interesting is one of the things i kind of read about was that she did not want it to be a a piano album. That was something that her producer sort of like steered her towards where, where she, you know, her vibe was like, Hey, I'm not, this isn't supposed to be piano music. Um, This is just the instrument I know how to write with. Um, But, you know, I think the producer sort of wisely said, no, this is, this is you, this is what you sound like. So lean into it.
1: So I, I read some of those differences in the songs and the production and as them, you know she got a record contract very young and shortly after she sort of arrived in l a right and you know started passing out demo tapes or she only passed out one demo tape or whatever so I kind of read that as the record company marketing machine trying to figure out what her lane is and not being a hundred percent sure and ultimately her lane became you know what the hits became which is that kind of dark there's a darkness plus jazz plus what I think really defines her sound and So it was just kind of coincidence that I was listening to her latest release, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which I think came out in 2020. And I I sort of, like I said, I sort of just knew her very glancingly as a, I don't know, a lovable music, musical weirdo kind of personality. Mm -hmm. But anyway, what I noticed on that record, and I think you can hear parts of it here, especially on the tracks I like the best, is she really uses the piano as a percussive instrument. She loves the low end of the piano a lot. She, I think it's a drum forward record that's when I like it the best too and I think that must be informed by her she just seems like a very percussive mind one of the anecdotes that jumped out to me I heard her say in an interview that when she was a kid one of the first things she started writing too was like she was writing score music for National Geographic programs like a lion chasing an impala or something and trying to get the sound of that with the sound oh, off super you cool. know? anyway so I, I like that I like I like that, that element, sounds fun. but but yeah, I think they were. I think they were trying some different things to kind of see what worked for her, and letting the kind of letting the letting the marketing, letting the record buying populace them, guide them from there. You know? Yeah,
0: so I, I did some pretty direct research on this, and I mean, you sort of alluded to some of it. So Rob uh, Fiona Apple sort of like landed it. You know, her big her big break was getting a demo tape to John Byron or Biron. Uh, who wound up producing this record? He was, you know, the boss of Fiona Apple's of of the kid that Fiona Apple's friend was babysitting. She gave her demo tape to a friend who was babysitting a music producer's assistant. Um, yeah, and that's and she was signed at sixteen or seventeen. Uh, most of the songs on the record wow. were written when she was seventeen. Uh, the ones that weren't, she wrote at sixteen or younger. Um and and a lot of what you've talked about is sort of the brainchild of of John. Is it's a biron or Byron? How would you guys?
1: I think it's just Brian.
0: Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Alright,
1: well, John <laughs> Bryan. Let's say that's easy. Lord
0: Byron. No, John
1: <laughs> Lord
0: Byron um, Byron. Lord Byron. Yeah, so uh this is sort of his his brainchild, right? Like when I say brainchild, I mean if you look into the sort of production history of title A lot of the things like, you know, the marimbas, the chamberlain, uh, you know, the vibraphone, the mellotron, like those sounds uh, are are sort of coming from the producer, right? This is him sort of saying, I think you you should fill it out like this. Um, Another interesting detail, which I didn't know until I dug it at all, is all the string arrangements are done by Van Dyke Parks, who... Uh, You know, I think sort of just did an interesting sort of like uh, Pop culture end run around like 2010 What was that record called, Rob? It was called
1: like Oh, well, he's the guy that worked with the Beach Boys a bunch
0: Song Cycle, yeah, he worked with the Beach Boys And he had a famous record called like Song Cycles Somebody gave me a copy of it, it's very interesting But it's like But he's like credited
1: Isn't he credited as like the songwriter or the lyricist On Good Vibrations and a lot of those tunes? like yeah,
0: that. that that's possible i don't know as much about Bandai parks um it sounds like you actually and it looks like he's done work with everybody from randy newman to earth wind and fire that, to Captain yeah. uh so yeah
1: yeah yeah he's one of those dudes but i yeah i remember him from the i remember him from when smile got reissued or whatever maybe mm-hmm. that was 15 years ago or something
0: and the producer himself, like he had done some pretty interesting work before working with F- Fiona Apple. He had worked with David Byrne on Romeo, um, As I don't know if he was a producer or engineer, uh, but he was on Mio. He worked on this. He was the Wallflowers producer. Or excuse me, he was the manager of the Wallflowers at the time. He landed Fiona Apple, so he played on one headlight and some of the other. It don't get much more '90s record. than that, man. Um, I'm getting, I'm
2: getting, I'm getting pumped, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so this dude, uh, John Byron, uh, he definitely has, he's got chops, right? He, he'd been on the road, he'd been in the studio, he'd been in the music business, he'd scored movies, and I definitely think, and we're all alluding to it, like, you feel that sort of, like, theatrical, old-school jazz vibe with all of those sort of, right. like, not keyboard instruments, but they're not synthesizers either. Yeah. Um, and Rob, you're talking about how it's very percussion-forward, like drum forward like a lot of those instruments ultimately feel more percussive right in this context um, so yeah I think it's I think it's a really hip record I think the production's way ahead of its time alright so
4: do you guys want to start talking through, yeah, songs start or is there some any songs?
0: yeah you want to start burning yeah. through these all right, cool. So I think this is a great segue from percussion forward, drum forward. Let's just roll the first track. Let's roll Sleep to Dream. Because this is honestly one of the things that got me the first time I heard the record. It's like, I'm turning this on. I'm ready for Shadow Boxer. You were that was actually the song right, that right. I heard. I was learning piano at the time. I was learning piano. That's sort of how I found her. I thought that was a really hip song. And then this tune came on, and I just thought, like, what? It's not what I was ready for. So let's roll that real quick.
4: i tell you how I feel, but you don't care. I say, tell me the truth, but you don't dare. You say love is a hell you cannot bear. And I say, give me my back and then go there for all I care. I got my feet on the ground and I don't go to sleep to dream. You got your head.
1: So this is the first time I had heard this song was this week and it was an I agree it was a knockout I think it's the highlight of the record for me it still feels fresh like you said the way it starts with the drums without sort of tonal instruments other than her voice is a, just a super cool production choice that feels very ahead of its ahead of its time you know what it almost reminded me of the beginning of it it reminds me a little bit of bjork's human behavior that first bjork song
0: that's interesting i can dig that yeah
1: so kind of used percussion as almost as a melodic element and i always thought that was an interesting choice there and that made that made her stand out to me the first time i saw her video on late night mtv so i think this is my favorite
2: song on the record i think it's i think it's a killer yeah i my note here is that it's sonically gorgeous um it's super spacious her vocal is dry coming in i mean mm-hmm. bone dry uh, which is very cool, lots of space in there. The drummer does this cool thing where the first hit, so if, if there are any drummers out there, uh, when when you play drums, you use the beater and you keep your feet down. So the thing that hits the drum head, once you hit it, you keep it against the drum so that the drum doesn't go, whoa, 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 and reverberate. The first hit that the drummer does on the kick, he hits it, lets the beater come off, and it gives this very hollow V- yeah, vibration totally. and then the second hit so it goes boom and those yeah. those follow-up hits are super tight and it's just i mean that's super in the weeds and super dorky but man it uh it, with headphones on yeah this this is this is a there's, killer
0: there's like a uh there's like a dotted eighth like like rim click and i've always wondered like is that an overdub because you can tell it's not you can tell it like it doesn't the quality of the click isn't the same every time right you can tell it's a live tape. Yeah. right like but i always wondered like is that an overdub or like how you know uh because it sounds fantastic
3: yeah dude. I, I i plus one to everybody so far like i i have heard the song before even though i hadn't heard the album um i want to say that courtney my wife has like spun this before and, and you know i've probably absorbed some of it as i was listening to it every you know absorbed it over the years it it's just badass like it i think as far as like the first 30 seconds of somebody's debut like i i you know i don't know that you could do it better to be honest um i think it just had a groove that i wasn't expecting i almost felt like if somebody said hey this is like the new you know modesty martin and wood album they played that first like like i would be like yeah i buy that like that's totally and then she comes in almost with like like she's rapping almost, you know. I, I think the lyrics I think are are what you would expect, you know, maybe from someone around that age who's who's been through some, you know, some relationship issues. And and I know she had some uh, you know some some trauma growing up, you know, but I, I think the it's it starts off really strong. I, I I definitely love that tune.
0: You mentioned the lyrics, and I remember as a teenager uh thinking like you know, one that she—I just remember thinking her her sort of vocabulary and her songwriting ability just seemed really elevated above like a seventeen-year-old.
3: I think, it, yeah, I agree with that for the most part. There, there were a few, you know, and again, like I'm not going to pick apart the lyrics of songs that were written, you know, as a teenager. I do think, yes, there were like a lot of moments, but I think there was a, there were also some moments here and there where I, I did feel like this is somewhat reminiscent of like high school poetry, but again, that's kind of what it was. And, you know, I think anybody at that age of their life, um, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about sort of how like mature this album was and how mature her sound was. And in many ways, I think a lot of that was more the sound than the lyrics necessarily, but yeah, I mean, I think she kind of nailed it with the song for sure.
2: And her range too, I, I think again, if you didn't know and you see the cover and you're gonna listen to a woman sing, and then she comes in and she is a very low register and mm-hmm. it's very oh, wow. it's you know, like you said, somebody else said it's sultry. Like it's just very unexpected and yeah, every everything about that. Yeah, and, and she hits the chorus fast too. Yeah. Like it, oh. it it's like four lines, boom, chorus, and you're in. Yeah. Talking about just, like, sort of her presence,
0: too, and her vocal presence, um, yeah, it's just very unassuming. Like, if you saw a photo of her, you would not expect this sound to come out of her. Like, it's just, it's very low. It's very, like, there's just a lot there, even though she is very, very fair. Right. 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 Very, very, very skinny. The video right? the, yeah, <laughs> the video
2: for Sleep to Dream was a little, you know, it just... It, it sometimes looked off right because here you have what, what mm-hmm. looks like a kid and then you know this, this really deep voice and for some reason there's a dehumidifier in the video i wrote that too because i had never seen it. i didn't grow <laughs> up with mtv so like we, we all talk about oh the video is like i've never watched any of these videos until i'm 40 so <laughs> the <laughs> things i noticed <laughs> is that there was a there's a dehumidifier plugged in in the background very odd
1: <laughs> what, what i kind of i mean what i like about her voice that makes me feel like she's older than she is it's it's part of the lyrics i like some of the lyrics and they they stuck with me even from like the biggest hits but i think it's because she manages to be both have that deep voice she sounds angry too mm-hmm. without do you know what i mean without being alanis morissette about it like <laughs> yeah. and and i mean having to scream or clip into the mic like right. she sounds accusatory
3: accusatory <laughs> <laughs> is, is a great word it's funny that you mention that because i had i had actually written down alanis morissette like very early into my listening of this where there's that, like, there's not the screaming, you know, there's not like the overt anger, but like, it's there. And like that pain is definitely there, you know, however she sort of manifests that, like mm-hmm. you, that comes across like very Absolutely. clearly.
0: All right, cool. So let's move on to what was the song that I was introduced to Fiona Apple through, which is shadow boxer. I actually don't think that this was the first single, released on title I think the first no it was uh uh, I don't know let's let's double check let's check the Wikipedia so yeah Shadow Boxer was the first single Sleep to Dream second Criminal was third so I guess I was unaware of Sleep to Dream being released as a single and my experience went directly from Shadow Boxer to Criminal so let's give a quick listen to Shadow Boxer and then we'll all rejoin in a moment was definitely the song that sort of like pulled me into fiona apple in the first place um big part of it is i was just learning piano at the time and it was like sort of
2: that's a great, just out of my yeah, range right right that's like you know, i was like
0: just out of my ability yep. so i could chase it and i could learn how to fake it you know um so it was fun to, and it also it just had some chords that didn't make sense to me right mm-hmm. like uh, it's basically in d minor but i think it jumps to like a g minor but it has like a b flat the bass or something i forget but at the time that was like mind-blowing to me. it was like holy i've crap. got cf
2: and g what is all this <laughs> exactly. non-root corridor yeah, exactly. yeah
0: d over b flat what is that <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, what, what do you, I mean, Rob, I know you've been working on piano. Uh, like, I, what, what's your take on this? Especially, like, I, I like to I love the left hand on this. That's,
1: what, that's yeah. what pulls me in. I'm really noticing the left hand because I've been in my piano lessons. I've been really trying to focus on the left hand and build up the left hand. And the left hand just feels so useless sometimes, you know. And I, I think she's great at it. I think I think it's a very well-written song. I, I just wrote down my note kind of on the first listen through. Jesus, this song is beautiful. Like, it 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 hits the mark. I think uh I think what I think she's kind of good at, which I guess is a jazz technique is kind of languid delivery. Little maybe a little bit behind the beat, a little bit all over the beat. You know, she just feels like she has really good control and I guess overall the production of the song what it made me think of, you know, there's the reverby kind of guitar parts, there's the strings obviously, there's maybe a, a glockenspiel in there somewhere, I'm not 100% sure. But it kind of—it made me think like it's happening on deep underwater, like in a really cool way.
2: Rob, totally agree with everything. And if if I could be a hair nitpicky, because that's what this show is about, right? We like to pick things sure. apart. Man, if she had just done it half a step higher, that was my only complaint. I feel like it's
4: just
2: uh, a little too low, where she kind of started to lose the control. I felt a little bit. It got a little mm. pitchy at the low end. I feel like a half a step up she would have crushed the whole thing and then especially
0: the chorus. she can hit the chords even right, harder
2: right 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 so that that was my but yeah i mean great tune that was my my one little piece of a criticism there
3: yeah this, so this for me this was the highlight for me like i i found this to be the, the most enjoyable song the just the way the chords stack up there's a like a, the chorus to me just has a release that it just felt like masterful like it was like i'm gonna pull you along and then it's just going to explode into the chorus. I remember, I, I can't remember what I was doing when I f- listened to this most recently. It was something in the kitchen, but I, I just like stopped. And when the song was over, I actually played it again because, you know, I remembered it being like an MTV single, but I hadn't really, you know, at that time in my life, w- was not able to to kind of process it in the same way or, or sort of understand like what was happening. Um, but no, it was, I, I think it was just a great song. And I think the lyrics to this is where I kind of came back to my uh, comment earlier about, I think some of the lyrics were really uh, above her, you know, punching above her weight for her age at that time. And, and, and but at the same time, some of them were a little bit, um, you know, like I, I wrote down, you know, what a cunning way to condescend. I really liked that. Like I thought that just, just sort of cut in a really great way, but then there was another line that was like the way you let your grace enrapture me. Like to me, that felt a little bit more like open mic kind of, Style poetry <laughs> thing uh so yeah.
2: poetry slam at the coffee house.
4: To Once my lover but now my friend oh its evil babe. the way you let your grace enrapture me
1: that's totally that's working backwards from the recapture me line though right <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. Let, let the dirty game recapture me is like
3: oh I mean, you write that line you're like well, totally, okay, we gotta figure this totally, out. Now. you kind of box yourself in on that i feel like it's almost i don't want to say it's like a perfect pop song but i think it has all the elements of what make a song great honestly i'm i'm looking at the chord chart right now
0: just out of curiosity alan you said like it explodes into the chorus and what I'm noticing, we can go, we can go fun music nerd. Uh this this is a great example of uh modal jazz. Like this song is in D Dorian. So when it hits that C chord, it's going to the one chord, it's going to the C, which is the oh, true tonic of D Dorian, right? So so you feel that like, it you feels you like feel you're this, home, the really. center, right? Like deep d minor feels like home right so when you go to c right it it, it, like it shifts the center but it like it opens it up right because you're still you're still fundamentally in a c scale right so
4: i'll be sure to stay wary of you
0: I mean that's pretty hip right that's and that again, that's the sort of thing you would know if you were like playing Ella Fitzgerald songs right. you know <laughs> like, like I wouldn't be a big stretch, but like you know this is definitely not a this is not a sophomore in high school level song, right like
3: oh for sure, yeah I think um it's it's very obvious i think in in looking back and realizing that you know she learned to play jazz standards and and you know especially very young that i mean these chords might even be you know almost taken right from a from a jazz song the way a lot of these chords are it's possible
0: so so we haven't talked about like her family background at all but i do think it's relevant right and that like she is sort of like the i think she's the third of three but her father was an actor um her grandparents were both Perform like vaudeville performers. Oh wow! Um, let me see if I can. see if I can find some info. She comes from a line of performers. Right. Both her siblings and her grandparents um, were career musicians, career performers, dancers. Her father was an actor. Um, so it's
2: in the blood, man.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and this is something that she would have grown up around, right? Like you know, we grew up around you know the Beatles and Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I've got to imagine it's even different if people are playing, like, actually epic gypsy music around you all the time, right? Like, um, So I think that's, yeah, I just think that's relevant, right, to the she seems older than she sounds, right? Because I think from a training standpoint, in many ways she probably is.
1: So, I mean, that makes me think, too, we haven't talked about her her kind of persona, which... You know, not here too much to comment on that, but one of the things I remember that it, I learned about her was when she got up at the MTV Awards and said, you know, everything's bullshit and you shouldn't follow famous people. I just remember that getting a lot of press attention. And from then on, when I would see her in little snippets of interviews and my watching of a few clips of interviews this week reinforced this, she does seem wise beyond her years. I mean, yeah, she's got a little, certainly some teenage you know anger or angst or whatever you want to call it but she's she's a very articulate
3: kind of old soul type person so it's it sort of fits right old soul is exactly what what came to mind for me you know in in listening to this like this album actually in a weird way reminded me of um that tom waits album closing time i don't know if if any of you are familiar with that but it's very you know again not to use (laughs) sultry for for tom waits but it's it's got that like backroom bar kind of like 70s, uh, you know, ambiance that, you know, almost like quasi lounge music that it, just, it just feels very authentic, though. It doesn't feel like she's trying to, like, cop that sound like it's just embedded. It's just sort of like who she is and, and her what her voice is. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that maturity from a from a musical standpoint is, is definitely there.
0: I, I found the factoid we were looking for. Fiona Apple's parents uh, met while they were both cast in the Broadway musical Applause. Um, her grandparents are a famous big band dancer named Millicent Green, who has no you know, meaningful detail I can find on the internet. Um, but her grandfather, uh, who met his his wife, uh, was a big band vocalist uh, at the time. And there, and there is some information on his work. Uh, between the early... 19-aughts and, uh, and and early 30s. I thought you
2: were going to surprise us all and say she was greatly influ- influenced by the prodigy. You can really <laughs> yeah, hear I'm it, They weren't contemporaries. No. They might have shared a bill, she, you know? Yeah, she
3: may have opened for the them.
2: <laughs> that would have been the greatest show of all time.
3: Erwin and Molly together at last.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> not to Not to completely Jump the shark, but I've been watching some older Simpsons episodes with my eight-year-old son. He's watching them for the first time. And I watched the one with nuts and gum together at last. Oh, nice. And I I was just like, oh man. I thought it was said. He actually just pulls out the package and eats it. And it really (laughs) and then he walks off like a moron. (laughs) All right, cool. So let's continue down the line. so, so far we've covered Sleep the Dream, Shadow Boxer. This takes us to the next big hit on the record. This is definitely, I, I think, the one that, you know, made her a household name in the 90s, which is Criminal. Um, I think both the song and the video were quite memorable. Uh, you know, more than half of the Spotify listens on the record to this one this one tune, Criminal. So let's give this a, tr- a listen uh, for anybody who hasn't.
1: of the song, which I do think is inter- more interesting than I had maybe given it credit for previously, mm-hmm. I also read that, and I feel like I've read this so many times, so I just want to throw it to the group, that this single, this was the single written at the very end of the record because the record company was like, we don't hear a single, so why don't you just go ahead and write us a single? And they are like, okay, let me just pull that together real quick. And it's like the last <laughs> song they recorded, it's like this huge hit, and I feel like I've heard that anecdote so many times for so many different records. Is that true? Like, what does that say? If
2: so, what does that say about pop songwriting thoughts or pressure or may, maybe true artists when they're given pressures, when they get their, uh, their, their most creative versus, you know, go, go lounge around for six months. We want to see an album. And then you come up and you say, you've got 10 minutes. <laughs> if you don't, yeah. if you don't <laughs> write me a hit, I'm going to kill your family. And then they're like, all right. And then they write <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, you know, like maybe it's just the nature of, uh, of artists and pressure.
3: Yeah. Or, or, or just supreme talent in being able to, you know whip up something like that because I came across the same thing where um you know that that anecdote was sort of flying around where you know I don't I don't hear a single so I can whip that up in 40 45 minutes I think her her quote that she's attributed to is is something the effect of like yeah I can do that I know how that shit works I came across that quote a number of times and I think there is an element of like uh and Phil you and I have discussed that um that river's Cuomo podcast where he breaks down his like songwriting and it's very formulaic and he keeps like spreadsheets. So I think there is, there's definitely a, like a formula to writing a, a pop song, but I don't think this fits into that because I think it's great song, but it doesn't sound like anything else on the album. So I I do think there's something to the fact that it was like an afterthought and like a bolt on to the record. Hmm. But when I listen to this, I don't hear like, Oh, you just like put one four five together and added some oohs and ahs and a bridge, and here you have a pop song. Like it, it doesn't come across to me like that. It, it. it, Yeah,
0: it's like a, it's like a one major down, and maybe it even is
3: one four five, but it doesn't, it doesn't have that like. No, it's not. It's
0: not. It's not. It's because it's not
4: (laughs) at
1: all. all. I'll be clear. That's that's, and I didn't mean it quite like that because I did hear Fiona say. In an interview about, I don't know if she's referring to this song or some other song, but like that she's not in the habit of being told, oh, go write something from scratch and that she's going to write it. It was more like go back to your unfinished notes book and decide which which idea to develop. And we need that one to be a single. And so maybe it just says something about the nature of turning an idea into into an obvious radio single, meaning like I can develop this song as something in that that, direction that fits that. Yeah, Yeah. it fits that
0: totally i mean there are things that radio singles have like tempos you can tap your toe to right like yeah. there's a sweet spot and this could have been a much slower song right but it's it's sort of a tempo
1: and then let's get into the production because i think one of the things that really sets it apart on the is that a mellotron, or it yes. reminds me of the strawberry well, Fields thing yeah right yeah. and then it even has a little strawberry fields breakdown with like little eastern riffs at the end yeah. too right a little psychedelic breakdown
2: james bond horns it's somewhere in the bridge it's just every just god man what what a what a soundscape you know
3: well in the bass too i mean she may be playing that bass line with her left hand it was hard for me to kind of discern where that was coming from but just the like do 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 oh yeah, doo, yeah. Like, that yeah. I've, always that
0: I've always wondered if the piano is actually two takes because it's like kind of panned to one side but there's crazy separation between the low end and the high end not Not only in like the way she plays it, but in the like the sonic quality of it, there's yeah. other ways to do that. you can use two microphones right like so yeah. yeah, I think this is a really, really hip tune, uh in just so many ways, uh,
3: yeah, yeah, it's great. I think the one thing that I think is worth like discussing to to some extent and and it's sort of like my what I always associated with the song, unfortunately was like I remember you know, this was Mm -hmm. just on heavy, heavy rotation on MTV back in the day. But, and I feel like the reason I had some, some like misconceptions about her music were because a lot of the focus at that time was on her like perceived like anorexia from the video. And I remember thinking for so many years, like that was how I thought of her as an artist was like, Oh, she's the, you know, super skinny, chick in this like mm-hmm. in these like provocative you know scenes in this video and i think i think it obviously like catapulted her to you know being that household name but i i kind of wonder if it actually worked against her in terms of establishing her as like right. the talent that she really is in like in like the public eye you know
0: mm, it like established a personality over a- over 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 like her yeah the,
3: the the persona and just the idea like I don't even mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to imagine that even happening today where somebody you know I, I feel like her like her weight and her I don't even know if she had an, an eating disorder but you know people talked about it a lot and, and I think she was like kind of mocked for it back then in a way that it was sort of like you know people used to make jokes about it and um you know I, I don't I I think that like worked against her honestly um and it it i think it did a little bit of a disservice to the, like the the talent that she brought to the yeah the songwriting. i think i'm under
1: the impression that she felt a little chewed up by the hollywood machine it took her some amount of time a significant amount of time to put out a follow up record and i think she said publicly that she had some kind of eating disorder i don't know if it was anorexia or not but definitely body image issues she was sexually assaulted when she was like a preteen like she had a pretty traumatic Life.
0: It it was was not a yeah, it sounds like it was not a comfortable time for her at all from 10 to at least when this record came out.
1: Right. I, I heard her say something I thought was kind of interesting about when she that she was this sort of introverted, weird in her own words, kind of kid and was always struggling to get other people to understand her, like understand her inner thoughts or her inner world. And that she said she had this idea that when she recorded the record, that it was going to kind of solve that problem because it would be her innermost thoughts sort of laid bare. But she said it kind of had the opposite effect where she felt very pigeonholed and like no one people understood her even less, except more people wanted a piece of her, obviously. And so, yeah, I think it was I think it was psychologically challenging as it would be for any 17
3: year old to go rocket to superstar in this way.
2: That's just crazy, man.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that like the self, the self-expression part of her music at that age, especially because I, I kind of came away with that vibe too, and listening to this where I think her, or the way it came off to me was that it's like, she plays music for like a necessity. Like I have to get this out, this thing that's in me and and not so much like, Oh, this is fun. Like I like music and this sounds cool. I just, I enjoy this. It's more like, I need to do this and I and it's really the only way I can can kind of wrestle with some of the shit that's in my head um I I just felt like it had that like raw kind of authenticity of like hey this is how I'm I'm gonna you kind of wrestle with this so the guy who directed the video for this song
1: is now in jail is he in jail (laughs) no I don't know oh I, I I mean,
0: man, holy I mean, look, <laughs> went is, like, on to work like, for I,
1: American Apparel, right?
0: Like, Alan, uh, I want to <laughs> say something to like you sort of you sort of alluding to like this song sort of like maybe pigeonholing her in her way because of the, the image it created. Like, I don't know what the goal with this video was. I absolutely think it was effective to the end that it was memorable. But I mean it is just like dripping in a weird, uncomfortable
1: sexual sleeves, right? Like, am I am I the only one that like... No, 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 you're right. <laughs> was, I think, no, I, I okay, I think there were many things going on, but one of the things that was going on, it was of its time, because I think what you saw in this era of the 90s MTV video, making music videos had become somewhat commoditized, right? Like everyone mm-hmm. was doing it at that point. It, it was clear that it was a way to market stuff. But then we're also in kind of a pre-internet, pre-pornography kind of zone where people were really pushing the limits of, like, what you could put. MTV was cable. A lot of people thought MTV was evil, you know? like I just think there was this, like, weird razor's edge of provocativeness that was happening around that time, especially on places like MTV, before it kind of, the wave broke and things kind of rolled back, you know?
0: Yeah, interesting. This guy made a bunch of fantastic music videos, though criminal uh was just one of many including including the shake it off video by taylor swift he made the 99 problems video for jay-z he made some of the videos uh that were part of beyonce's
1: lemonade so he kept working for quite a long time man. oh yeah yeah i mean
0: I, it sounds like he's still working his name is mark romanek i'm i'm wondering mm. if he's done any feature films
1: because yeah, a lot of those guys graduated a lot of those folks graduated onto feature films like Sophia coppola mm-hmm. and spike jones and stuff that made some of the more memorable 90s videos right
0: yeah yeah exactly one hour photo cold case (laughs) uh yeah i mean no there's no i mean there's a couple of movies but nothing that like jumps out you know it's not like oh he did you know titanic
1: i don't know man Uh, i I was a 17 year old boy watching that video and i felt i felt dirty (laughs) you know what i mean like it didn't feel great
3: right yeah, certainly going back and, and watching it again, I remember it being really provocative even then, but watching it now, like I felt like I, it, it should have had like a not safe for work tag on it or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was really like pushing those, those so limits. Like, I mean,
0: what we're saying here though is that like in the record, she was quite effective, and, and not just the record, but the release of the record, she was quite effective in pushing boundaries and doing it in a way that was somewhat timeless, right? Like this video still hits all the same buttons it hit 20 years ago like you watch it and it's both like she's beautiful and arousing but also like it feels wrong it felt wrong then it feels wrong now right yeah. like <laughs> oh, the
1: timeless
2: <laughs> value
1: <laughs> the of, timeless. of that feeling
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, yes. all right let's 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 haul this one back so to,
4: shadow wanna, timeless two shadow boxes i want to out
1: I want to point out two <laughs> lyrics from this, from this one that, that stuck with me. The I've been, I've been careless with a delicate man. I just remember, like, I think the first time I heard this song, I, I, that lyric jumped out to me, and I thought it was very well crafted. And then this time through, I really enjoyed the rhyming of defense with sinned against. Mm-hmm. I just think that's not an obvious rhyme, and I, I appreciate that that's there. So great job, Fiona. Yeah, no, I
0: I think, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think the lyrics in general on this record are fantastic. And uh, you, you, the opening line of this song really does set the character up. It's like, she is in control, right? Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's uh, intimidating.
1: <laughs> I mean, del- Careless with a Delicate Man, that just really, that hit home. That was a little too real for me. You know? <laughs>
3: yeah. That's been my whole life.
4: Yeah, heard that. Heard. Yeah
3: yeah it's sort of a burn too of like hey you're weak and i'm sorry that i don't really care <laughs> you know, affected yeah. you this much well she'll so
0: break you just because she can
3: exactly.
0: it's sort of like jolene except it's jolene singing not the woman who doesn't want jolene to
3: crush the mm. jolene life. response
1: song oh, that's good i like, good.
4: It. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I like it. 30 years after the fact or whatever <laughs> Heck yeah dude that's awesome so are we calling this a diss track <laughs> is, is that is that what we are now <laughs>
0: Dish track, all right. So, what do we got next? For? Uh, so, I think the one we went to talk about was Never is a Promise. I don't know if anybody else, or maybe we we're going to talk about Carrion. I think there were a few that we, we talked about as being the, the final sort of wrap it up tune. But I got some yeah, notes
1: for Never is a Promise, yeah.
0: All right, cool. So, anybody else want to give that one a spin? We agree, yeah.
2: Let's
0: do it. All right, cool. Let's let's give Never is a Promise a spin.
4: My favorite- I see from where I I understand
1: My feeling is that as was mentioned earlier in the podcast that the back half of the record is not as strong as the front half partially because it's not as differentiated it sounds a little more run-of-the-mill or like other things you might expect it doesn't mean it's not good it just means it doesn't feel like it fits the personality that i now that i've come to think of fiona apple as having through the hits and even through the rest of her recording career so this song to me which i I believe is the only song that survived from her original demo over to the album Mm -hmm. it feels a lot less like the kind of brooding semi-weird like image of her that ultimately you know got marketed or or where she went with it um and more like a lot of different singers could be doing something like this you know she goes up into the falsetto it's just a little more like run-of-the-mill for piano songstresses again it's not saying it's bad it's just saying that it's feels a little more expected to me
0: I think that's fair. with Alan, what do you think, buddy?
3: Yeah, I I kind of agree. I think it's, I do feel like it's a, it's a beautiful song. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, it's very raw. I think there's a, there's clearly a lot of pain there. And I don't think that's like manufactured or, you know, I, I think that this is definitely like an outpouring of emotion type of song, but from a purely like listening perspective, it just, yeah, it, it, It sort of felt like background music. And I think the, the, the album sort of front loaded as we've kind of alluded to a bunch of times and and like front loaded with, with energy. And it's not surprising that this was one of the original, to your point, like this was kind of from her original demo. Um, But this definitely had a little bit of that more like loungy jazz sort of feel that, it 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 wasn't like super memorable to me but in listening to it closely I, I did i did feel something but it wasn't the kind of thing where i said hey i have to hear that again
4: mm-hmm.
3: i felt my finger scrolling through the track
2: quickly i think i got to the 3 minute mark i'm not trying to be a jerk but i got to the 3 minute mark and i looked and i was like oh this is 6 minutes i was like oh, more this is long. I was like ah oh, more more d minor piano okay so not a good gym song, but I I thought the the str- <laughs> the string arrangements were wonderful. Uh-huh. Uh, whoever yeah. does all the the orchestral stuff, that's, again, the, that that's junk, Van Dyke Parks. There, man, what just fantastic, uh, really well done there. But yeah, you know, I agree with uh, all you guys. You guys just have a little... sort of highlighted something for me, and it's interesting because, like I
0: said, I've probably listened to this record a few times a year for the last twenty years. Outside of a period where I you know this was, was in heavy rotation, right but you know 20 years ago. so I think you guys have sort of highlighted for me something that I missed you guys coming in fresh is that you know maybe with the exception of the first taste, which kind of has like you know that's I guess that's probably it's in theory like side one song two after the first four songs, They are sort of more piano-driven, more like what you might expect, right? And I can definitely see how three or four of these songs are sort of like... They have a lot in common, right? Both in production and sort of tempo, design... um, I happen to think this is one of the better one of those songs. Like, I definitely take this over Pale September um, or uh, Slow Like Honey is pretty hip. But, but I mean, I think you guys highlight something that, uh, you know, I wasn't really seeing, you know, even, even upon this listen.
1: I could I could imagine this song being in a Broadway musical or something like that. I mean, it's yeah, which is not just so that's saying it's not exactly what I would call hip, but it's well composed for
3: sure. Yeah, there's just not a lot that really differentiates it, you know, as like a a must listen. He does the fluttery high stuff that
1: differentiated it for me. That made it not so much of a low light, but just kind of a pass, a neutral tone for me.
0: It does contain an F major seven sharp 11. So, like, if you're ever just, you know.
1: You've completely changed my mind on the track. (laughs)
3: Can you play that chord on bass? I, I'm not <laughs> on bass. A Few
2: more fingers and a few more strings, it's inaccessible
3: right. to, to yeah.
0: heathens <laughs> like myself. Can you play
3: that on bass.
0: What notes would you pick? You're on bass, so you have to play an F, Jeez. right? That's not that's right. That you can't, right. Even, can't even debate because you're the bass.
3: Oh, that's gonna be a tough one. We'll work that out right, somehow. Cool.
0: So I mean, yeah. unless there were, were there? I don't think I think it was it. We didn't we didn't want to dial into any other tunes. Right.
2: My, so I had my, my favorite yeah, tune yeah. was we, ha, we haven't talked about it yet, but it was uh, the first taste.: Oh, Yeah, yeah, uh, which, is, which is track uh-huh. six. so' let's, uh-huh. let's give that sure. a quick so. listen.
4: But that in all legs I feel that I'm finally growing weary of waiting to be consumed by you give me the cup.
2: It's pretty badass, right? This
0: has hip rhythm, really hip rhythm. I think Rob alluded to that at the top, right?
2: So the the things that I, I like about this tune is where it goes. So it starts out, um, my God, first off, the microphone on this track is cranked. And if you're wearing good headphones, you can actually hear, like, her teeth, like, hitting her lips as she's enunciating. I mean, it is just fantastically cranked, but it works, Um and then when it comes into that groove, that is completely out of left field. It just, man, I just threw up my uh, my favorite song flag and declared uh, it. On it has this a one. very so, hip groove, yeah. and it
0: has some kind of like, it's almost like a steel drum
1: thing. Yeah, there's like a marimba yeah, in there or yeah, something. something. Yeah. Okay,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got island vibes. Yeah. And it turned out I think this this was one of the singles I had never heard this one. So again, coming in. It's very low key, and I'm thinking, oh, here we go. Here's another right kind of downtrodden song, and if if you look at how it starts to how it ends, c- couldn't be uh, more polar opposite. Very very cool tune.
0: Well, while we're just like throwing out random ones, I think the guitar.
2: Bring, bring I it, think it on, homie. the homies. guitar
0: playing on the last track, Carrion, is fantastic.
4: To who knows they are. What's gone is gone and you can't bring it back around Won't do no good to hold no searchlight You can't illuminate what time is anchored down And that's got to be the producer,
0: right? He's a, he was the guitar player in, you know, rock bands, like, I don't know, I'm not going to drop the random you know, rock bands that you haven't heard of. But, like, this guy was a record producer. He plays on Wallflowers records. He plays on David Byrne records. I think he was possibly in... uh, He possibly worked with Warren Zevon at one point. Like, this guy can play. And it's got to be him on this last track. I mean, there's some cool guitar work on other tunes, but there's just a finesse to this sort of, like, jazz comp. You know, like, no pick. Like, grabbing a whole box of chords. I just always was like, man, this is... This is some pro-level shit. Uh, and then it does the same thing that Shadow Boxer does, right? Where it leaps into the chorus. It feels like a key change that isn't there. thought that carry-on was a, just a really cool out track right like it 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 feels like the record is over
3: yeah I, I agree I thought that sort of pulled it back into some of what the early parts of the record felt like and it you know which I think makes sense to to kind of bookend it with you know some of those like sassier kind of tracks so yeah I I thought that I I didn't you know pay hardcore attention to, to some of those uh guitar stylings but um from a from a feel perspective i think it you telling me a bass player wasn't paying attention to the guitar Blow <laughs> well,
1: no,
2: my mind
3: i it i hear enough guitar
2: <laughs> let's fire up that guitar outro from uh hell's it called carry yeah, on yeah here. yeah
1: Since we're all throwing out random stuff here I'd be remiss if I didn't direct Your attention to something that's not On the album but it's always been One of my favorite sleeper Elvis Costello tracks and there's A YouTube video where she covers it It's called I Want You And it is one of the most menacing Great tunes and Elvis Costello Doesn't sing I don't think he sings at all on it But he's like backing her up on guitar And she freaking Kills it She kills it. It's a great song already. I don't even know if I could find a recorded version to put on the Spotify playlist, but let's drop that YouTube clip in
2: right here.
0: A deeper listen this is uh yeah great drummer on this tune too, or at least a live take I'm checking out.
1: Something about picking the right kind of songs for your you know to put in the repertoire right that was that was one of the main skills I think of the old of the old jazz singers too is like they they had a knowledge of what was going to sort of work for them and their voice and then then they could also make it their own so it's a really it's kind of a lost art right that A and R kind of art totally agree.
0: All right, cool. So it sounds like we're we're sort of hitting the end run here. So let, let's let's go around the horn. I'll kick it off. I think it's been pretty clear since the beginning that I'm I'm all in on this record. I definitely think this is a a record worth to listen to before you die. Um, yeah, all around. I just think it's a winner. Um, also, I'll give a shameless plug for her newest one, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which I also thought was really fabulous. I thought it something about it sort of fit the timing of. Pandemic lockdown uh, and just like the, the, the crazy sort of canned heat energy she has. Um, I'm not as familiar with what's in between. Adam, you're up next. Where are you at on this one, buddy?
2: I think I'm, I'm going to steal something Alan had said earlier, which is uh, just based on that first track, coming out of the gate, this is your debut album and Sleep to Dream is your tune that hits. That's just awesome. Uh, there are a couple, you know, I, I want, they're not bad, but they're sleepier tunes, but that doesn't mean a song has to be frenetic the entire time. Um, I like it. I, I think it's i think it's worth a listen. I, I'm going with a, a thumbs up on this one. We jumped around. Let's go with Rob. Sure.
1: Yes. So on the topic of whether or not this belongs on the 1001 albums, You Must Hear Before You Die, I would have to say yes. It's a resounding thumbs up. I think we have an example of... One, I like debuts, you know, of artists that that sort of last in the game and produce a lot of music. It's always interesting to see where they're coming from initially. I think this is an example of someone whose voice is extremely unique and needs to be heard, and that's one of the reasons I think you must listen to it. But beyond that, I think it's a great example of pairing a lot of really high-quality songwriting with very high-quality singing and the production. Which we highlighted here, which is subtle and interesting, and still feels pretty modern or maybe even timeless, as we mentioned. So, I think "Title" is absolutely a must listen. Do it.
3: Yeah, plus one. I I I think it definitely belongs on the list. Um, if you know for all the reasons mentioned, I think it's it's such a unique. Yeah, I think she brings a unique package to the table where it's you know, the jazz stylings, I think we, you know, one thing we didn't really get into much was, was sort of the, how influenced she was by hip hop to an extent where there's some of the grooves and the beats that, that she brings into a few of the songs. I, I think it's just, um, it's a great like melding of yeah, the, it, it, she oozes talent. I mean, there's really no way around that. And I think the production is there to match. Um, what I really respect about her too, is I think, she could have taken a different path after this album. You know, she could have gone into that, like, high volume, I'm going to cash in on this, you know, sort of like. Clapton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and she chose not to do that. Where the I Clapton you know, methodology, as it is now. <laughs> which, by the way, I would do that. Let's not yeah, let's... Be, you know, I got kids uh, in the house. I'm um, cashing in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know she 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 stayed a um, a crafts a craftswoman if that's a word um where you know i think she's got what maybe four other albums after this um but uh yeah 100% on the list
0: all right awesome well i think it sounds like you know we've got a we've got a unanimous vote i think we've only had a few of these so far right we're maybe a, a dozen or so deep i imagine this is probably the you know the third or fourth time we've got a unanimous vote so there so you true. go so of true. the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. Title's a keeper. So go check it out. Title by Fiona Apple. Rob, why don't you dial up, what is it, the Arbitron 5000? The, the Albinator. Albinator 2000. It... Albinator! Well, hold
1: on, I should be f- perfectly honest with you. Well, the Arbitron 5000 makes thinly sliced roast beef sandwiches. <laughs> and sadly, that is, that is at Tom's house. But... <laughs> so is the albinator. The albinator went with Tom. He wasn't able to ship it to me, but I do have uh I do have the Albatron 77500. It's way better. Okay. Communicates with Tom's Albatron <laughs> by Bluetooth so we don't get any weird overlap and and we can go ahead and and spin this bad Are boy. Are you talking up.
0: about weird overlap
1: on the roast beef? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how, overlap's good when it comes to thinly sliced roast beef sandwiches. With but album can radish.
3: produce the uh, Big Montana? It's that, uh, it's it that is that user illusions one and two to come together?
1: Okay, so we're going to spin to see what we right. are listening to next week. A drum roll, uh, please. Oh, Iggy Pop, Lust for Life. Sweet. Exciting. I have a, a fun
0: Iggy Pop story I can share. Oh,
1: later. great.
2: Did you see him in a grocery store
3: or something? something okay <laughs> I, think he, I don't well, think he, he doesn't look like he eats much so i was
2: gonna say a grocery <laughs> store are we talking about
1: the same guy <laughs> true that true that well that's i think that's gonna be a fun one i'm i'm actually reasonably familiar with that one i i wonder if you guys are as well but of course uh, the title track is fairly well known so i think david bowie probably produced this so i think i think that's right definitely involved yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure yeah cool well we look forward to that
0: listen up yeah, so again, uh, it's been a great week. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you, talking to you uh, next week. If you have any thoughts on this week's podcast, if you like Title, if you hate Title, if you like us, if you hate us, shoot us an email at 1001 complaints. That's 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. Uh, and maybe we'll read your. Kindly crafted email. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
4: That's
2: (laughs) maybe.
0: So until next time, I am Phil.
2: I'm Rob. I'm Adam. I'm Alan. Boosh.